everybody, it's Doug Bursch, and you're listening to The Fairly Spiritual Show. So sin divides us. It divides every relationship. Divides marriages, divides families, divides communities, divides churches, even divides nations. We're going to look at the language of division and the language of unity. We'll even look at how George Washington predicted that our nation would be divided if we continued on with a certain kind of speech. Today's show, Sin Divides, God Unites. They say that I cannot do what you've called me to. It is not possible, unattainable. I will never see it through. Spoken by your word, your Holy Spirit's leading me. You are my only one, you're the only one worth living for. So I'm holding all my dreams with you. Oh, I'm dreams with you. Hey, thanks for listening. I really do appreciate this a lot. Uh, So today's show, I'm feeling a little rustic. Uh, I like to drink coffee every day, and that's not because I'm addicted. I just choose to drink it every (laughs) single day of my life. Don't judge me. Uh, But I I got this new uh, cup that makes coffee in kind of a French press way. And I haven't figured out how to make it right yet. And so there's a bunch of coffee grinds in it, but I don't want to give up on it. So I've been drinking coffee that is a little grainy. And um, basically I'm feeling rustic in that. (laughs) I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I I basically just have a mouthful of coffee grinds while while doing the show today. So there's a visual for you, right? You you can just imagine... Some of you are like, why did you do that, Doug? Now I, now I can't listen. Uh, don't imagine that. Just imagine I have very clean teeth. But I, I don't know. I just, I, I can't, I, I don't know what this is. I don't want to blame it on gender. If it's just a man thing or a stupid thing. But I just, I can't give up on this cup. I think I can make it work. And so I'm just working my way through these coffee grinds. And eventually I'll make the perfect cup of coffee. Speaking of perfect, we've been talking a lot about community. We have these utopian ideas of community, but the reality is people are messy and people are broken. So what I've decided to do, I restarted my uh, show, The Fairly Spiritual Show, and the first shows are going to deal with topics related to a book that I've just released called The Community of God. Uh, It's called The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. And you don't need to read the book to be able to listen to these shows. You don't need to have listened to the last shows to be able to listen to today's show. It'd be nice. You know, I'd appreciate some love. You go back and you listen to those shows. They were handcrafted, hand-forged for you. But you don't have to do that. You can just listen today. Uh, But with this, uh, I'm going over different chapters and just talking about aspects of community. And I poured out my heart in this book. I've ha- I have a unique perspective on the church in that I did a radio show for five years where I did 1,200 shows, met with hundreds of uh, pastors and church leaders. I work in ecumenical settings. I'm on the doctrine committee of my denomination. I've worked in all kinds of different church settings. I have a lot of perspective, I think, 
on the church at large. And I have a heart for the church and a heart for pastors and a heart for community. And also, I'm an introvert that doesn't want to be around people. So I thought I'd write a book talking about those struggles. Today, though, I want to talk about uh, stuff that I address in chapter five of the book called Sin Divides. God unites us. God created communities so we could understand him and we could understand what it means to be human. Uh, But I want to look at today how when sin enters the picture, the immediate result is division. Immediately. Uh, We sometimes look at the progression of humanity and talk about how terrible everything is getting, but the reality is from the beginning, things got terrible right off the bat. The moment sin entered the world, things were terrible. You look at Adam and Eve, and it's fascinating the language that is used before sin enters the world and after sin enters the world. Now, before sin enters the world, and we talked about this on our last show, when Eve is created, Adam looks at Eve and he says, bone of my bone, or bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. Together we're one. He sees this woman. This isn't a Jerry Maguire moment, you know, you complete me, but it, it, it really is this sense of, Without you, I'm not a whole person. It's not even just a romantic statement. It's just this truth that God has separated me into two beings, basically, and I need this community that God has created for me to be one person. I need you, Eve. I need you in my life. That That's the reality. When Eve is created and, and sin has not entered this world yet, Adam recognizes that, that Eve is needed in his life for him to be whole, for him to be complete, that community is needed for him to be a whole human being. This isn't just about marriage or gender or sexuality. It's about humanity, that humans are not supposed to be alone, that we need other people in our lives to be human. So that's before the fall. Now, after the fall, I'm not not talking about seasons like winter and spring and fall, but after sin enters the world, and we talked about control and power in our last uh, time together, But after sin enters the world, this is the language that Adam uses, and it's pretty powerful. Uh, God asked Adam, he says, Adam, have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? So Adam and Eve have eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam quickly places the blame on Eve. Immediately he says, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. So listen to the language. The language before the fall is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, together we're one. That is uniting language. That is oneness language, right? But after the fall, it's divided language. It's this woman you put here to be with me. Basically, Adam's saying, I was doing just fine on my own, and this otherness, this other person, this other thing, this woman, this this, if you had not put her with me, things would have been just fine. If ever there was other language, if ever there was divided language from the beginning, sin enters the world and Adam immediately uses divided language. And this is what we see. This is a wonderful way to know if your marriage is healthy, if your family is healthy, if your relationships are healthy, if your church is healthy, if a nation is healthy, the language we use, the language of we're in this together, together we're one, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, together we're one, or this woman you put here to be with me. I see this in marriage counseling. I don't do marriage counseling. I'm not a professional counselor. I will do premarital, you know, I'll gather with the couple, we'll talk about marriage, I'll I'll meet with people, but I send them to the appropriate people who can do these things. 
But if a marriage is in a healthy place, people talk about the marriage as us. It's us. It's our marriage. It's our decisions. When things are broken, it's my time and your time and my rights and your rights and my ways and your ways and my friends and your friends and my decisions and your decisions. They begin to talk as you're an other and I'm an other and I need my way and my right and my time and my needs and my wants. And we begin to talk about each other as others. You see this even in social media when people talk about their loved ones in terrible ways uh, you know, on, on Facebook or Twitter. They'll talk about their spouse or their kids in, in ways that, that I, I presume they would never talk about them in person. They complain about them and, and talk poorly and ridicule and they talk about them as other. They certainly don't talk about their most significant person in their life the same way they would talk about themselves. See, there's an aspect of when things are whole and right and pure, you talk about the other person like yourself. Isn't that kind of what Jesus said, to love your neighbor as yourself? That's the same thing, right? Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, that I'm going to love you as an extension of myself, that humanity, we are one together, that we are called to be one community together. So I'm going to treat you the same way I would treat myself because God created communities so that we could be a full expression of God. And I, by myself, cannot be a full expression of God. So together in our most healthy form, we can be the best expression of God on earth. So I'm not going to talk about the people entrusted to my care as something other than me that's been put here as some sort of obstacle to overcome. This is the language of division. And from the beginning, when sin enters the world, immediately division enters into the picture. You see this with uh, Adam and Eve. What's the next story? What comes up next? What's the next one? Is some of you, just say it out loud. I know you're alone. You're like, why do I have to say it out loud? Just say it out loud. It'll be good for you, right? What, what's the next big story that, that comes along? We have Cain and Abel. Look at the madness of Cain and Abel. Some people like to talk about, you know, everything is falling apart and everything is decaying. And by the way, that narrative is just wrong. When people say, oh, everything's just falling apart, I think, do you remember slavery? Do you, do you remember there was a time when people would go to church and they'd talk about how good God was and then they'd go home and they'd read their Bible and they'd pray with their kids and they'd go to bed and just outside their window, people lived in slave quarters because they owned people? That was also the good old days of America, that people used to treat women like property. So this whole narrative that everything is just falling apart or everything is just wonderful, is some things are terrible and some things are better and it's a mixed bag. It's not all good. It's, it's not all bad. But there's something to remember that from the beginning, when sin entered the world, tremendous depravity entered the world from the beginning. And you see this with Cain and Abel. Uh, Cain murders Abel. And one of the things that, that I always, it kind of shocks me is when you hear about a terrible um, tragedy, you know, you hear about a mass shooting and people say it's senseless, a senseless tragedy that, you know, someone shoots up a room full of people. Terrible tragedies. We hear about these more and more, and whether they're happening more, we just hear about them more because of social media. And so we hear about the tragedy, and 
and we talk about it and we tweet about it and we Facebook about it and we change our profiles to show honored for it. But there's just a reality of the, the more we become this global community where we know more about the tragedies, the more we focus on those things. And, and we'll say things like, these are senseless tragedies. And, and, and I get what we mean by that. When we say it's senseless, we say it's senseless because we feel like we can't protect ourselves from it. You can't protect yourself from someone just going into a room and shooting strangers. But one of the things that's so twisted about how we are as humans is we say it's senseless for a stranger to kill a stranger, but somehow it makes sense for a brother to kill a brother. We don't say it's senseless when a brother kills a brother. But that is even more senseless and maddening. A stranger to kill a stranger, at least, you know, they have no connection. Well, maybe, you know, it's just random and there's some weird sense to that and that there's no emotional connection, but a brother who's been raised with a brother, if ever there was a senseless thing for someone who should have a connection, and yet from the beginning there's senseless, unimaginable tragedy that occurs when sin enters the world where Cain kills Abel because what? Because Abel's sacrifice contrasts Cain's sacrifice. And if you look at that scripture, and I have this in, in the book in detail, I'm just going over a big picture here, just how sin divides us. Cain and Abel both give an offering to God, and it says that Abel gives um, gives the best. He gives the choice portion. In fact, in the Hebrew, it says he gives the fat portion, which we're like, ugh, fat portion, that's terrible. But in that culture, the fat portion would be the best portion. So Abel gives the first he gives the first of his herd, the first animal, and he gives the best portion. In contrast to that, Cain just gives God something. It just gives him something. There's no qualifiers there. They know that it's the best or the first. So what's implied in that is Abel already recognizes that God is my provision, so I will give God my first and my best. By the way, that hasn't changed. You know, whether legalism or grace or love, if you've acknowledged that God is everything in your life, you give him the first and the best. I mean, that you, you, out of love you do it. You don't do it out of law and legalism. But the sign that you truly believe God is your creator and he loves you and he's everything in your life is you give him your first and your best. Before any laws were in place, uh, Abel recognized that. Abel was like, you are the creator. I give you my first and my best because you provide for me and I acknowledge that you provide for me and I acknowledge that you're everything in my life, so I'm going to give you my first and my best. Cain, on the other hand, just gave God something. And God came to Cain and said, hey, you're in danger. A Satan is a roaring lion and he's ready to devour you. And it wasn't that, you know, God had some ego trip here. God's like, as humans, we're created to be in fellowship with God, we're created. We run best to be in, in relationship with God. And if we separate ourselves from God and we separate our giftings and our talents and our resources from God, we're going to be devoured by the enemy. And the best way to unite ourselves with God is to unite our purposes, to unite our fruit, to unite our labor, to unite our energy with God's purposes and God's fruit and God's labor. And God comes to Cain and says, if you do this, if you live with the fruit of your life, the productivity of your life, separated from me, Satan's going to devour you. And so what does Cain do? Cain says, you know, I'm mad at Abel because Abel is contrasting my offering and so Cain kills Abel. When sin enters the world, it divides and it devours. It divided Adam and Eve. It divided and devoured the relationship between Cain and Abel. It does that with families. It does it between brothers. Sin not only divides marriages. Sin not only divides families. Sin also divides nations. 
Now, in my book, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor, I look at a George Washington's farewell address. Addressed? Address, excuse me. I think it's the coffee grinds in my teeth here. I'm struggling talking here. I know some of you said, I just stopped thinking about that, Doug, and you brought it up again. I just want to be real here. That's what's going on. I'm still drinking this coffee, even though it's full of coffee grinds. <laughs> but anyway, uh, in George Washington's farewell address, he wrote basically a letter to the nation, uh, and it was printed in every major newspaper. And in that letter, and I get it, George Washington is a white, rich man with a bunch of privilege. You've got a, a complex history in our nation. I'm not trying to make him as some sort of saint. But one of the things that George Washington warned in his farewell address is that one of the biggest dangers for our nation is the danger of party or partisanship. And, and if you read this, if you read his letter, and I have, a, I have quotes in the book and I go into it in detail, he says it's one of the biggest dangers that will begin to unite around factions and parties. That one of the most important things as a nation is we define ourselves as one nation instead of parties and factions. And he begins to say what happens when we define ourselves as different parties and different factions, the problems of these things. In fact, maybe I can get a quote. One of the problems is when you read it, the language is a little bit uh, hard to read. It's, it's a, you know, it's, uh, it's from another time. Uh, but uh, it's, it's not as good as like the Hamilton musical. It, it's not it's not cleaned up like that. It's it's a little harder to rap or to sing to. Uh, but here's one of the quotes from from Washington, uh, and and I'll, I'll explain a little bit. But here's what he said, and this is a quote from the book, uh, page sixty three. Here's my lead in. Washington believed that this unity would be constantly under attack. So he, so he believed the unity of America would be constantly un, under attack by individuals and groups who desired to gain unjust power. Consequently, he urged the American people to reject and to frown upon any attempt to weaken the unity of the nation. And here's the quote. This is from Washington. But as it is easy to foresee that from different causes and from different quarters, much pains will be taken, many artifices employed, to weaken in your minds the conviction of this truth, as this is the point in your political fortress against which the batteries of internal and external enemies will be most constantly and actively, though often covertly and insidiously directed, it is of infinite moment that you should properly estimate the immense value of your national union to your collective and individual happiness." that you should cherish and cordial, habitual, and immovable attachment to it, accustoming yourself to think and speak of it as of the palladium of your political safety and prosperity, watching for its excuse me, watching for its preservation with jealous anxiety, discountenancing whatever may suggest even a suspicion that it can in, in any event be abandoned and indignantly frowning upon the first dawning of every attempt to alienate any portion of our country from the rest. Now, I know this language is like, what is he saying? This is what George Washington said, our first president, in his farewell address, that we should reject any attempt by any political figure, by any faction, 
by any party, it says, indignantly frowning upon the first dawning of every attempt to alienate any portion of our country from the rest. Listen to that. Any portion of our country from the rest. Or to enfeeble the sacred ties which now link together the various parts. To me, that's anyone who says, you know, there's real America and not real America. The South against the North, the East against the West, the city against the rural. Washington believed that the collective and individual happiness of United States citizens was closely tied to national unity. Quote, here every portion of our country finds the most commanding motives for carefully guarding and preserving the union of the whole. He also believed that any activity that divided the nation should be rejected. And I have a bunch of other quotes in here. In fact, like one-third of his farewell address goes after any attempt to divide the United States of America through partisanship. And he said, here's the danger too. If one party rises up, then the other party will be jealous and their goal will be to take down that party and they'll raise up a leader and it'll, it'll begin to be about the leaders and there'll be this vacillation between these leaderships. And he's prophetically talking about what is happening right now. Now, I don't think that's too big of a stretch to look at that same sin that divided Cain and Abel and that same sin that divided what? That divided Adam and Eve is the same sin that divides our nation. That devouring spirit. Us versus them. Not the spirit that says, I'm communicating in a way to bring us together. Not the spirit that says, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Not the spirit that says, I'm going to try to communicate in a way and abide in a way where that we can be united as one nation. But the spirit that says, man, if those people just weren't with me, if those people just weren't here, if we could just destroy them. And that's the problem with partisanship. Partisanship, the goal of partisanship, by the way, anybody can have a political opinion. There's nothing wrong with political opinions. Everything's political. But if I'm communicating for the purpose of understanding, understanding you and you understanding me so that we can come to some sort of truth consensus and abide together and move forward, then that's great. But that's not what partisanship does. Partisanship does this. My goal is for me to win and you to lose. My goal is that I get 50.1% of the vote and my guy wins and your guy loses, and I gain control, and you lose control, and I pass my laws, and I remove your laws, and you go away, and I'm the victor. That is not a Christ-like spirit. Even if people are in error, even if people are wrong, the gospel is clear that we are to communicate in a reconciling way. We communicate through love, we communicate truth in love for the purpose of bringing light and life to others. We communicate for the purpose of bringing people into relationship with God and into relationship with us. The goal is so we can abide together in the truth and in love. But sin divides. Sin divides individuals. Sin divides marriages. Sin divides families. Sin divides nations. And sin divides churches. And you see the same kind of thing in churches as well. When churches are unhealthy, they become factional, and it's our group and their group, and 
those people. It's, it's the old people against the young people. It's the first service against the second service. It's the contemporary service against the traditional service. It's the senior pastor against the associate pastor. It's the youth pastor against this. It's that, oh, that worship leader, if we just didn't have that, or that one per if she just wasn't doing that, or if they just did that differently. It's these faction and these camps. It's this other talk. That is a filthy spirit. If you have the habit of talking about people in the church in that other language, it's a sign that you're allowing sin to take root in your language and in your abiding with others. When Christ takes a hold of our life, we begin to look at every single one in the community of God as an expression of us. And even if we disagree, and even if we don't understand, we communicate for the purpose of reconciliation, we communicate out of love, and we communicate for the purpose of that we together will be stronger and more whole. We don't communicate so our group can win and that group loses. We don't communicate, well, if we do this power struggle of just enough people meet in this community and in this committee, then we can run that person out. We can just outlast that pastor. We can just outlast that angry group. Love pulls us together. Sin divides. Now, this doesn't mean we don't have divided issues. This doesn't mean we don't have conflict this doesn't mean we don't speak the truth. Some people say conflict is sin. Conflict is not sin. It's how we communicate conflict. Do I communicate because I love you, because I care, because I believe we're called to be together? Or do I communicate because I want to destroy you? I want you to leave. I want to win. And I want you to lose. It's the motivation. Is it a dividing and a devouring spirit? Or is it a loving spirit? I say this to people in our church. I joke with them, and I know this is probably not a good joke, but I say it's kind of like the mob, that if I put you in a position of authority, I'm not going to ever throw you under the bus. So if somebody comes to me and they say, you know, I don't like how we do worship music here, I'm not going to say, you know, I don't like it either, but, you know, they lead worship, and what are you going to do? And maybe you should go talk to them and get them to do the kind of music that we both want to do, but, you know, what are you going to do? If somebody comes to me and says, I don't like the worship music here, I make sure they understand that whatever our worship leader is doing is an expression of me. And so I'll say, I'm sorry you don't like what we're doing. I make sure the worship leader knows that I will stand right alongside her and that if they don't like what she's doing, they don't like what I'm doing. And if they don't like what I'm doing, they don't like what she's doing because it's us. And then we will have a conversation, and we will talk how we can connect. But I won't divide the church. At the same level, I ask them that if somebody goes to the worship leader and starts going, you know, I really don't like how the pastor's preaching, uh, she won't go, yeah, I don't like it either. Boy, isn't he a jerk, and he goes way too long. And, you know, no, instead, she can go, I'm sorry you don't like what we are doing. Why don't we get together and talk? That's a sign of a healthy community. You still deal with the conflict. You still deal with the struggles, but you talk about us. When the kids have a problem in our family, I don't go, you know, your mom, she's crazy. What are you going to do? I say, I'm sorry. Let's get together as a family and let's talk about this. A healthy family, it's not, well, you know, your dad's an idiot, but I'm doing the best I can. 
are, you know, your mom is emotionally unstable. I'm do-. No, it's we. We've made these decisions. It's our family. It's one. It's us. Sin divides. That's the question I have for you. What kind of language are you using? Are you using the language before the fall? Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, together we are one. Or are you using the divided language, this woman you put here with me? Are you communicating in partisan, polarizing ways? The goal is for you to win and be right and for them to lose. Or are you communicating truth, even difficult truth, for the purpose of trying to build the community of God? How do you see things? Is it us or is it us against them? These are questions we all need to address. It's easy to say. It is so easy for me to say, you should do this and you should do that. I know that I fail at these things. But God has called me to grow in love and to grow in loving the community of God. Father God, I ask that you'd help us, not out of condemnation, not out of fear, not out of shame, but you'd help us to recognize where sin is dividing us, dividing our relationships, dividing our language, dividing churches, dividing our nation. Help us, Lord, to speak the truth in love. Help us to deal with conflicts in a way that we are uniters, that we bring peace, that we bring hope, that we bring people to the table, that we listen, that we love, that we express you, that we express the uniting, reconciling power of the cross and love and the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Hey, I so much appreciate you listening. I'd love for you to pick up a copy of my new book, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. There's so much more in this book than what we talked about today. You can pick it up at Amazon. Uh, you can. There's a. T- uh, I always want to say textbook. It's not a textbook. Uh, you can have one mailed to you in print form. There's a Kindle version. There's also an audiobook as well. Here's a deal on Audible. You can get it for free if you're not an Audible member. If you become a first-time member, you can download the book for free. Don't worry, they pay me, so you're not ripping me off. It's actually kind of a good deal for me, and it's a great deal for you. Uh, so you can also get it through my website at fairlyspiritual.org, and uh, I'll sign a copy and send it to you. It takes a little longer. But however, I would love to get you a copy. You can do it as a Bible study. There's questions at each chapter. Uh, I'd love to get your feedback as well. Make room for the Lord. He knows you by name. By the way, the theme song for this show is by my brother Dan. Check out his music on iTunes. I will see you next time. They say that I cannot do what you've called me to. It is not possible, unattainable. I will never see it through, but you've spoken by your word. Your Holy Spirit's leading me. You are my only one. You're the only one worth living. dreams with you